considering a donation to Rightly Dividing the Word. Whatever method you choose, thank you for supporting the work of the podcast Rightly Dividing the Word. We are committed to stewarding all gifts wisely toward the goal of proclaiming the holiness of God to as many people as possible. We take seriously our God-given responsibility to be a wise, honorable steward of every donation we receive. Hello, friends. We're back with another episode and podcast here at Rightly Dividing the Word. We are also Theological Center for Truth, uh, where we teach the the gospel as it was presented thousands of years ago and the way that the church was to be presented in such a way. And uh, today's episode is uh, coming out of my seminary school or what I would call my Bible college school. It's uh, WVBS and uh, I just finished up my course and my term paper on the book of Acts and uh, one of the professors or academic instructors uh had got a hold of me and sent me some of the amazing information on a question of why are there so many churches uh so many denominations i'm going to be teaching that lesson but i just wanted to make sure to reference them uh as some of this uh teaching information is important that the original uh school who taught this information needs to be honored for that but also that god would be honored that they were given this information through a right study i think wvbs is one of the i would put in top five schools that in the in the world just a personal opinion uh not to glorify them and they wouldn't want me to do that uh that they just glorify god and the scriptures and stick so well to it that i'm just really glad that i am a student of wvbs Uh, So today we're going to be teaching a lesson on why is there so many churches? And the question is, have you ever wondered why there are so many different churches and practices and beliefs? Uh, Is it possible that every denomination is right? Question mark. Does God approve of every kind of division and confusion? And does it even really matter? Uh, Why are there so many different churches? Does it matter to God? Is he pleased with the current situation in the religious world? Um, if you were to ask, uh, if we were to ask you exactly how many different churches exist in the world today, what would you say? 5,000, 10,000, 400,000? You would probably say, I don't know, a lot, I guess. And that would be right. There are a lot, in fact. I looked this up recently and I found that there are approximately 38,000 different churches. 38,000. That is amazing. That's that's phenomenal that there's... It's really mind-blowing. And I think about how confusing can this be for a person who is seeking the truth uh, because you have one church over here that is teaching that this practice uh, and another church over here is that it's teaching the opposite of that practice. One church says item A is sinful and another church says that item A is mandatory. Who is right? can both be right and of course some people will tell you that it is good it is good to have a variety just attend the church of your choice and 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 they will say one church is just as good as another we're all going to the same place anyways they're they're different paths leading to the same location and beloved i would respectfully tell you that the bible says god is not the author of confusion when i read my new testament i read only about one church 
But when I look around me today, I see those who profess Christianity. I see thousands. Now the question is, how did we get from one to thousands? And the answer is something went wrong. Something went really wrong. But we see, and you see, it didn't go wrong with God. It went wrong with man. Now here's the first point I want us to observe as we consider the subject together. And that is, in the Bible, we read only about one church. I want you to use your imagination for a minute. I want you to imagine that there would be such a thing as a time machine. And I want you to imagine that you can get in this time machine and travel back to the first century, to the day of the Lord, the day that the Lord established his church. You get out and you see all these converts to Christianity, about 3,000 of them, and you walk up to one of them and you, you ask him, Sir, I would like to know what denomination did you just become part of? What would he say? How would he respond? Well, he would probably say, I don't know what you are talking about. And what I mean is, another thing that you, another way we could put it is, what church did you become a part of? We could ask him that. Was it Methodist or Catholic or Baptist? Which one was it? And he would say simply, Sir, I don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. I have never heard of a denomination. I have never heard of these groups you are discussing. All I know is that I became a part of a church that belongs to Jesus Christ, the Church of Christ. And that would be exactly right, because there was only one. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And this fits perfectly with that Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, he promised, Upon this rock I will build my church. The Apostle Paul later echoes that sentiment of the one church, and he is speaking to the elders in Ephesus. He tells them to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. Now, in the book of Ephesians, we are told that God has put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. And so the church of Christ, the body of Christ, are the same thing. And then the singularity of the church is nailed down in Ephesians 4, 4 when he says there is one body. Dearly beloved, when one reads the New Testament, he is impressed by the fact that there existed only one church. Well, what if someone came along and wanted to start some different divisions of that one church, different denominations, if you will? Would that be okay? And the answer to that question is no, that would not be okay. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you shall speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now, beloved, how does that mesh? with what we see in the religious world today, with all the different denominations and divisions and the sects and all the teaching, the different things. And the answer is, it does not mesh at all. It is completely foreign to the New Testament concept of the church. Now, more specifically, what was the problem with the church in Corinth? I want you to listen again. This, this in verse 12, Paul says, Now I say this that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
You see, within the first century church, we see the seeds of denominationalism. Some were starting to hold to Paul, while others were holding to Apollos, and others were holding to Cephas, to Peter, and others to Christ. Divisions were starting to form, and Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, condemns this, and he makes it clear that this is not of God. Again, as we seek to answer this question, why are there so many churches? I want you to notice that God predicted that there would be a departure from the New Testament pattern. So you see, despite the clarity of the New Testament with regard to the oneness of the church and despite the warnings against division, God knew that divisions would come. And in fact, the Bible foretells of it and warns against it in several times. One of these warnings comes from a passage we mentioned a moment ago, and it's the conversation between Paul and and the Ephesian elders, and he tells them to shepherd the church, which was purchased by the blood of Christ. He says that, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up and speak perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, it is interesting that Paul tells the leaders of the church of this congregation that a departure would come from them. And the reason that that is so interesting is because of the first departures in the church was with regard to its leadership and its organization. Uh, now, another warning concerning departures found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read this one together. It says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly. That is, the Holy Spirit is speaking very plainly here that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocr hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and condemning to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, we will see in the history that two specific departures that will later take place relate to the forbidding marriage and not being allowed to eat certain foods. Now thus far we see that according to the New Testament pattern there was only one church, but we also see that God predicted that there would be a departure from the New Testament pattern. So let's get to the, the, the real question, the key question. Why are there so many churches today? How did a basic Bible belief system with a unified group of people turn into literally thousands of different denominations with different practices and different beliefs and different doctrines. Well, history tells us that very, er, very early on there came along splinter groups who had ideas and doctrines contrary to the first century church and contrary to the doctrine that they had received in practice. And these groups uh, included the Gnostics around A.D. 125 and the Matanists around A.D. 156 and the Novations around A.D. 251, and one of the largest and most significant divisions that relates to the early church uh, relates to its leadership that involved the Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. Now, from the beginning of God's plan, it was to have elders and deacons in the church. You can read about this in 1 Timothy and Titus, and these elders had authority only over the congregations where they were members. That is the way that God had established it. Each congregation was autonomous. But you see, over time, elders began meeting together to discuss problems relating to the various congregations. When you get to the 300s AD, 
the Roman Emperor Constantine uh, starting to have interest in this growing group of people known as the Church of Christ, in AD 313, he passed the Edict of Milan, which ended the persecution against Christians. And you can imagine that this gained a lot of favor with the Christians and in around Rome. And so the Roman government began to gain a lot of influence with these elders in the Church of Christ. And the end result was a very adverse effect on a large portion of Christ's church. You see, this new relationship led to a meeting between elders in the Church of Christ and Roman officials. This meeting took place in A.D. around three, uh, AD 325, and history calls this event the Council of Nicaea. This meeting uh, gave rise to the first officially recognized departure from the original New Testament church. And now this newly created denomination took a Latin word Catholic, which is translated universal, and established a hierarchy very similar to that of the Roman government. They literally took the example of the Roman government and built a church that was based on that model. And so in this new church, there were men who were over several churches or groups of churches, which was a very clear departure from the New Testament pattern. Now, friends, Christians who were faithful to the Bible, those who stood against this newly created Catholic denomination, they were persecuted and ostracized. They had to meet in hiding, but the pure New Testament Church of Christ continued to exist. Now, historically speaking, after the formation and establishment of this Catholic Church, uh, it grew in strength and number and in political power. And they created new doctrines and man-made traditions, and they en enjoyed growing political endorsements from the Roman government. And in, in time, their doctrines were made mandates and required all of their members of the Catholic Church. Uh, notice the dates uh, on the charts. You guys will have access to the charts. I'm going to put links to my school um, where you guys can download the chart. You can also watch the video of the original teacher of this lesson. Um, as again, I want to make sure they get credit for this. I'm just putting it on my podcast. Uh, cause it's another way to reach people. And uh, trying to do the best I can to uh, even sound as good as the original teacher of this lesson. But uh, yeah, I'm going to put the links up to the charts so that you guys can download them. And you'll be able to see the, the dates on the chart. So notice the dates on the chart as the Catholic Church implemented some of these doctrines long after their formation of their denomination. So there was Latin Mass, then you have purgata uh, Purgatory, the first official Pope, and they called him God on Earth. Then we see Transubstantiation come in and start to work its way, and then the mandate of the celibacy of the priest in, in 1015. Now, if you'll look at the timeline, you will see that for the first thousand years there were really only two churches you had the church of christ that began on the day of pentecost in jerusalem that still existed and then there was catholicism now history tells us in 1054 the catholic church split into really two denominations and when that split took place in those two denominations you had roman catholicism and then you had greek the Greek Orthodox Church. Now, during this time, the Bible became more and more unavailable to the common man. And this period became known as the Dark Ages. And the Catholic Church just continued to add man-made doctrines. Examples include indulgences in 1192, the confessional booth in 1215, 
uh, sprinkling replaced immersion for baptism in 1311, and the Pope was declared infallible, where Christ and God clearly are infallible. The Bible is infallible, not the Pope. Now, by the time you get to the 1500s, you will see a lot of activity on that timeline. This is because there were men such as Martin Luther who began to stand up and say, hey, th this is just not right. Martin Luther was a German monk, and uh, he hated the selling of indulgences. Uh, he, he challenged the Pope, saying, the Bible is the only source of authority. I would agree with him on that. Martin Luther's widespread opposition to the Catholic Church ignited the pro uh, protest movement, which is historically known as the Protestant Reformation. In 1521, an another denomination appeared shortly before the Lutheran Church came on the scene. It was known as the Anabaptists, and they started as a protest against the Catholic Church and its practice of infant baptism. Anna means again, so they baptized again those who had been baptized as babies in the Catholic Church. But what is really interesting is that the Anabaptist movement spawned several other churches to include Baptists, the Amish, the Mennonites, the Brethren of Christ. And as the religious freedom expanded, denominationalism continued to grow and multiply into dozens of factions. And you can see that on the timeline. And this laid the foundation for a multitude of denominations that exist in our present day. Some of these churches began with a noble desire to break free from some clearly unscriptural practices. Others began with less than noble reasoning. And you'll notice that on the, the chart that the Church of England started in 1534, this church began as a result of King Henry VIII. Uh, his desire to have his marriage to Catherine of Argonne annulled when the Roman Catholic uh, Church would not grant this annulment, the result was separation from the Catholic Church and then the formation of the new church, the Church of England. Well, what is the point of all that? The point is that if you look at the chart, the timeline, it represents just a small fraction of churches that existed today. Some began with good motives, others began with bad motives, but all of them were started by men, not by Christ and not by the original intended church. Now, if you'll go back to the top of the chart, you will see in the green line that represents the church started by Jesus Christ, that is the church that began in A.D. 33 in Jerusalem. And it is the church of Christ, the one that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. And from history, we see that all other churches were man-made denominations. Hopefully now you can start to see why there are so many churches. And here is the message that we really need to take heart to. Since Jesus condemns division, we need to be a part of that one church that Jesus established, the one that he bought with his blood, not one of the man-made churches that came along later in history. Now, what does that mean for us today? Does that mean that denominations are wrong? Uh, dear friend, uh, we would want to be kind, but we want to be clear, and the answer is yes, they're wrong. It would have to mean that because all churches other than the one built by Jesus Christ exist without New Testament authority or example. Nobody says, does that mean that good intended or good intentioned uh, morally upright people and denominations will be lost? Well, I want to let the Lord answer that question and I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21-23. Not everyone who says to me, 
Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And again, dear friend, observe with me that Jesus says that on that day of judgment, there will be good people. Listen to that. There will be good people, people who are teachers, people who claim to hold to the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, people who will be lost because they haven't done the will of the Father. Now, the point is, having good intentions is not enough. Having my heart right is not enough. I actually have to follow the New Testament pattern. I want you to listen again to the words of Acts chapter 2, verse 47. A praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Friend, all of the saved people are in the church, the one that Jesus built by Jesus, the same one that existed in Acts chapter 2, the same one that we read about throughout the New Testament, the one that existed prior to all other denominations of man. Now the question is, how do I become part of that church? The one wherein salvation is how do i become a part of the church of the new testament and the answer is the same way that they did in the new testament you've got to obey the gospel you know sometimes people in the religious world will tell you that there's nothing you have to obey that they will say that you only need to believe but i want you to listen to words of second thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8 the bible says and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels now listen to this he is describing the day of judgment he says that some people are going to receive rest and some people are going to receive punishment he says when the lord comes in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know god now listen and on those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ you see we we must obey the gospel now, obeying the gospel can be summed up in five short words. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and baptism. And somebody says, well, what does that mean? Explain that. Well, first, a man must hear the gospel. He hears that because of his sin, he is, has transgressed the will of God and is destined to die eternally in hell. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. He also hears that Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh to pay the penalty for his sin so that he does not have to. He hears that salvation is found in Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 indicates if a person does not hear the message of the gospel, he has no hope. Now upon hearing it, he must also believe it. Now what does that entail? What must a man believe? He must believe he must understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. He must understand that Jesus is deity. John 1, 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He must, of course, believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Well, how is that? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Then he arose defeating death, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and Romans 10, 9 says, 
that if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Of course, it is crucial. It is crucial that a man believe and understand the body of Christ, which is the church of the New Testament. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 10 says, Salvation is in Christ. Then a man must repent. Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says that truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere repent. Repentance is a change of mind brought about by godly sorrow. That results in a reformation of life. This is important to understand because sometimes people will say repentance is merely a changing your life. That is not a good definition of repentance. Repentance is changing your mind, of course, that is followed by the change of life. Then you have step number four. A person must confess his faith in Christ. Romans 10 verse 10 clearly tells us, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation in Acts chapter 8. As Philip was testing the gospel, uh, or teaching the gospel to the Ethiopian, he said, See here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip responded to Ethiopian and said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the confession we are talking about. Not a confession of our sin, but a confession of what we have heard, what we believe. It is an acknowledgement. Yes, we believe these things. Now finally involved is obeying the gospel. One must be baptized. In Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, baptism as it was practiced in the first century Christians was a total immersion. In fact, the meaning of baptism is the point at which a person is immersed in the water to a point at which he contacts the saving blood of Jesus. It is the point at which he has finally obeyed the gospel. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried into him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. And so we are buried in the watery grave of baptism. Jesus shed his blood in his death. In, in baptism, we are buried into his death. We contact that saving blood of Christ and our sins are washed away. That's why we come out of the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness. Once you've done these things, Acts 2, uh, 47, chapter 2, verse 47 says, The Lord will add you to the church. Friends, the church of Christ still exists today, just as it did in the first century. You know, some people misunderstand the church of Christ. Uh, they think that it is just another denomination alongside another string of other denominations. But I can assure you that the church of Christ has no earthly head, no legal hierarchy. It wasn't started by any man, and it follows no man-made creeds or practices. The church of Christ just follows the New Testament pattern found in the Bible. We meet on the first day of the week to take communion. We sing a cappella uh, the way the church did in the first century. We pray. We study the Bible together. We hear preaching together. We give financially according to how God has blessed us. Christ is the only head, our only head. The church is composed of elders and deacons and evangelists and members, just as it was 2,000 years ago, and we abide only in the doctrine of Christ. We cast away all man-made doctrines and creeds, and we are Christians only. 
Friends, we are not advocating that anyone would leave his denomination to join our denomination. We are advocating that men leave all denominations and simply be a part of the one church of Christ, the one that existed hundreds of years before the churches of today, the one that we read about in this very Bible that we read today. Again, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. I was not the original author of this message, uh, so I want to make sure WVBS, Rural Video Bible School, gets the credit here. Uh, they're such great teachers and such a great school. They've really led my studies. Um, I'm so glad to to be a part of their 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 teaching and to be a part of who they are. Um, they just it's it's amazing that we still have a school who teaches just the Bible that doesn't try to hide it in the doctrines of all the other the Reformation doctrines the doctrines uh, mortification of sin and all the all these things that are, are great reads and can be tools to to help us understand some things of the gospel but our true understanding and wisdom comes from God. All wisdom and knowledge comes from God. All of it. Every single piece of it comes from Him. Uh, so I can't say it any more clear than, than the original author who wrote this has said, there's, there's no reason we should be practicing any other church than the church of the New Testament. And I agree 1,000% only because... God said so, not because the author who wrote this message said so, uh, which clearly he's directly teaching from the Bible. I don't think he's speaking outside of that. It's very clear he references all the uh, texts that we would need to see to prove so. Um, not to prove him right, but to say that the gospel was right. And uh, I just thank the school for um, allowing me to be part of that, to be a student of the school. Um and I'm thankful for the Church of Christ. And uh, we are searching uh, to have our Church of Christ built here locally in Lakeland, Florida. Um, we're hoping to have a school center. Uh, we will teach the same material they are teaching, which I'm working with them currently to try to find out how we can do that. But Theological Center for Truth is going to proclaim the same thing that WVBS proclaims as we align with what they believe, which is the Bible. Uh, and we stick to those beliefs. We stay in the Bible. We preach the Bible. We teach the Bible. We do God's will. That That is what we need more of and less of the churches that have all the lights on and the smoke screens and the whipping you up into a frenzy with the songs that have 7-Eleven music, uh, seven verses, uh, seven words said 11 times, uh, times 21. <laughs> we don't need that. We need the, the bands to go away. We need the music to be turned off, and we need to sing the hymns that are in the book of Psalms and praise God the way we were called to worship. Uh, that'll be the next episode. It's going to be on... Should there be, what kind of music should be in the church? Uh, and why should it just be a cappella and no, and no music? And does the gospel speak to not having any instruments? Uh, which it does, and you'll find out that's very clear in the text. Uh, um, a writing, I believe, from Al Washington from WVBS. But um, I'll reference him as well. I'm pretty sure he's the author of that, uh, which they had sent to me in an email. Um 
But I just know that I can reach some people on this podcast, as I know some of you aren't going to attend the school. Uh, so I just thought this would be a great opportunity to get this great teaching out there. And uh, I just want to thank them again for uh, their school and for sticking directly to the Bible. I'm going to lead us out in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I would hope that uh, this message could get to the hearers that you need to know about the church that you designed, that Christ built, that they would think about the churches that they attend today. Is it a church that truly teaches the New Testament teaching, the Old Testament teaching, the law plus the gospel? Um, Are they attending a church that has the right name above you, Lord, that they let Lord reign, that they let Christ reign in the church, that they would seek out whether or not they are attending a church that is denominational and if they are that they would leave it and find to be in the body of christ in the true church of the new testament lord we would ask that you could bless their hearts and their minds to understand this word that they would seek the verses in this lesson and and try to truly understand the teaching that you've provided there and i would just pray that you would do with all those that hear your will lord and we pray this in your son's name jesus christ amen thanks for listening to the podcast If you have questions or want to talk with us, we are on Facebook at Theological Center for Truth, as always. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth.